Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cover-up? Saudi Arabia claims journalist Jamal Khashoggi's death was an accident. President Trump says that could be true. It was a good first step, but I want to get to the answer. But not everyone in his party is willing to buy what the Saudis are selling. Two of those critics, Senators Bob Corker and Ben Sass, in moments. Plus, politics of fear. The president going back to what's worked. Fear and the border, claiming Democrats are opening the gates for a migrant caravan full of criminals. Democrats want caravans. They like the caravans. Will that red meat stop the blue wave? Potential 2020 challenger, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti is here. And Sunshine Showdown, Florida, ground zero for a critical election. Who would have thunk it? Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home, everybody. With millions of dollars pouring in and big names hitting the trail, what can we learn from these key bellwether races? Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Tampa, Florida, where the State of Our Union is barnstorming. We are here in a key midterm battleground, just 16 days away from an election that will help determine the future of Donald Trump's presidency and the future of the United States with the House the Senate and 36 governor's races up for grabs, including right here in Florida. This is all happening as the president faces an escalating international crisis. In a brand new interview with The Washington Post, the president acknowledged that Saudi Arabia has engaged in deception and lies about the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. But it's unclear how much he holds top Saudi leaders accountable for the lies or for the murder. He still sounds open to believing the official Saudi explanation that Khashoggi was killed in a physical altercation gone wrong inside their consulate in Turkey. The president saying it's possible something went, quote, badly awry without the knowledge of Saudi leadership. The Washington Post, where Jamal Khashoggi worked, calls the Saudi story, quote, a cover-up. Joining me now is Senator Bob Corker, Republican from Tennessee and chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. The Saudi public prosecutor blamed a, quote, quarrel and brawl that, quote, resulted in Khashoggi's death, the president said that he finds that explanation credible. Do you? No, they've uh, they've lost all credibility as it relates to explaining what has happened. And uh, I do hope over uh, the next few days we'll actually have the tapes that the Turks have. I know we haven't received them yet, but uh, I don't think anybody believes that story. I can understand the president wanting to keep open channels, uh, but I think those of us who who want to speak directly to this know that it's just not credible. Well, the president said it was credible. He's not just keeping open channels. He's lending his authority to their official yeah. explanation. Yeah. Well, again, uh, Jake, it, it, you know, everybody can say what they wish, but it's just not a credible story for somebody to walk in with 15 other people and get into a fist fight and lose their life. So. I do hope, look, we're going to have a thorough investigation. I know that 
our agencies will be looking into it. Um, we've uh, invoked the Magnitsky Act, which says within 120 days of when we did it a week ago, and in full investigation has to take place, and sanctions have to be, or sa sanctions should be placed, put in place for anybody who's had anything to do with it. It's my sense, and I don't know yet, but based on the intel that I've read, based on the other excerpts that I've read, it's my thinking that MBS was involved in this, that he directed this, and that this person was pur purposely murdered. But we'll have a chance to see that uh, hopefully very soon. And my sense is, Jake, even over the next week, it's going to become much clearer. You said earlier this week that the White House had, quote, clamped down on sharing intelligence about Khashoggi's death with congressional leaders such as yourself, the chairman yeah. of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, the White House says that's not true, and they yeah. refer referred reporters to you to clarify. So would you clarify? Are you getting the access you need to do your job? Yeah, I was supposed to have a CIA briefing on Tuesday. I was in Washington uh, dealing with some other issues, and it was called off. And there is some question as to why that was the case. The White House has called us directly and vehemently denied that they called it off. It could have been some committee inner workings. It could have been just some confusion. Uh, we ended up having additional briefings on Friday. One of our key staffers is going to have a briefing on Tuesday, a full briefing. So the intelligence faucet is turned back on and there's likely was just a miscommunication that took place. But obviously I was there to to receive it and uh, it didn't take place. But but again, we are getting the intelligence that we need now and hopefully uh, the United States will actually get those Turkish tapes. I mean, the Turks have been talking more to the media than they have us as it relates to our intelligence agencies, but obviously those would be very, very useful to us to be able to listen ourselves to what occurred. Is it your understanding that the CIA has heard the tape that you're referring to or not? <clears throat> You know, I had a conversation yesterday with Secretary Pompeo about a wide-ranging number of issues, and to his knowledge, at 2 o'clock yesterday, they had not received those tapes. So sometimes the CIA gets things. Obviously, you know, he used to run the agency. Sometimes they get things, and it takes a couple of days for them to, to go through them and make sure that they're valid. But as of yesterday at 2, I don't think we had received those. And it would be very helpful if they would go ahead and forward them, if they have them, uh, obviously for us to make our own discernment. You said that you believe that MBS, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, was behind the murder of Khashoggi. During an interview with The Washington Post yesterday, President Trump praised the Crown Prince, praised his leadership. He called him a strong person. He added, quote, he has very good control. Yeah. He loves his country. Just to be clear, you don't have any yeah. doubt that the Crown Prince is behind this? Well, look, again, Jake, my sense is that he is behind it. Um, you know, I want to see the rest of uh, the documentation. I want to see, I want to know more about it. But that's my sense. I'm not, I'm not condemning automatically today. I want, to, I want this investigation to be completed. But yes, look, if you sit down with him, and I'm sure you have, Jake, he is a very impressive young person talking about the future of Saudi Arabia, uh, pushing back against the Wahhabists there by doing some of the progressive things that they obviously rail against. Uh, you know, moving away from solely focusing on fossil fuels to privatizing Aramco, which hasn't occurred yet. But if you if you listen to his vision of the future, it is very impressive.
But then if you look what he did when he came into power where he got the opposition in the Ritz-Carlton, uh, detained them there, tortured many of them. When you look at the fact that uh, Lebanon has a confessional system and so their, their prime minister, a Sunni, uh, the fact that he didn't like the way he was carrying out uh, his activities, he arrested him. Obviously, Arari has construction interest in Saudi Arabia, and I think his wife lives there, so they had a lot of, they, la they had a hold over him, if you will. And then if you look at the rookie mistake he made uh, in Qatar, where without even talking to us, uh, they put in place this blockade, he also has made some mistakes. And obviously, if he's gone forth and murdered uh, this journalist, um, he's now crossed the line, and there has to be a punishment and a price paid for that. And, and again, I'm not rushing to judgment. Do I think he did it? Yes, I think he did it. Uh, let's, uh, let's finish this investigation. We have the best in the world at being able to do that. We obviously have intercepts from the past uh, that point to involvement at a very high level. So let's let this play out. But my guess is at the end of the day, uh, the United States and the rest of the world will believe fully that he did it. We'll see. By the way, uh, I've heard from if other he ambassadors in other countries. Well, I, I'm moving to that. If he did it, then I think there, there should be a collective response. I've talked to ambassadors from other countries uh, in the West. Um, they're looking for the United States uh, for leadership on this issue. But they also want to make sure that they coordinate a response with us. They, too, have arms sales uh, to Saudi Arabia. They, too, have interests there, just like we do. And so uh, this is something where I think you're going to see the mm -hmm. United States, United Kingdom, France, Germany working collectively with others, if he did this, to respond in an appropriate way. If he did this, sir, do you think President Trump is helping him cover it up? I don't. Look, I, look, I understand the tremendous equities that they have involved here. Um, and I see the president uh, evolving on this issue uh, in a positive way. Um, look, they've spent a lot of time in Riyadh. Uh, as you know, Jared Kushner has put together a Middle East plan. He came over the other day and gave us some of the high-level concepts they're working on. But they've got, a, they've got a lot of stock here. And the fact is that you saw on Saturday uh, the king who, let's face it, is not... Uh, is not particularly coherent, I'm just being honest. You've got a crown prince who's consolidated his authority. Authority. He was given additional authority on Saturday, as I understand it, just to show that they are fully behind him. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the country, I mean, this is the person, it looks like, that may be there for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And so I think as we look at this, and I've talked to other senators about this, we have to, we want to look at the individual, and we want to make sure that if this individual has been involved and directed this brutal killing of a journalist, then we have to punish that person. Mm -hmm. We also need to think about the fact that Saudi Arabia is a country uh, that is a fairly important country. And so we've got to figure out a way to have a nuanced response uh, to this situation. But again, if he directed it, um, we need to put the same types of sanctions in place that we've done with other people who've done the same thing. And we could look to Russia uh, to see the types of sanctions that have been put in place there. Sanctions are a blunt yeah. instrument, okay? They're not, they're not that great. They're good, but they're not that great. And so we need to think of other ways 
to deal with this kind of behavior. What we don't want is a ruler that's going to be around for 40 or 50 years going around the world continuing to conduct operations like this. And so collectively, we've got to deal with this in an appropriate way. I want to turn uh, to another issue around the world. President Trump announced yesterday he's terminating a key yeah. nuclear missile treaty with Russia, one that dates back to the Cold War. Uh, did the White House give you any sort of heads up? And, and what do you think of this plan? Do you think it's a good idea, a bad idea? Yeah, you know, in my conversation yesterday with Secretary Pompeo, this did not come up. Uh, I don't think he was avoiding it. We just covered myriads of issues. It's been rumored they've thought about uh, ending uh, this, this particular treaty. And there's no question that for years, uh, Russia has been violating it. Bolton's on his way to Russia. Uh, this could be uh, somewhat like the fact that they were going to end NAFTA and then ended up no negotiating some small changes. And it looks like that... Uh, you know, it's going to be extended. So this could be something that's just a precursor to try to get Russia uh, to come into compliance. We've also heard, Jake, that maybe they want to end the new Stark Treaty. I think that would be a huge mistake. The Stark Treaty has worked. Uh, I feel responsible uh, with others, but I really led the charge to cause it to be ratified, and it's mm -hmm. worked. So I hope we're not moving down the path to, to undo uh, much of the nuclear arms control uh, treaties that we put in place. But look, there's no question Russia's violating. And if we're going to get out of it, I hope we at least are in a place research and development wise where we too have developed some mechanisms. Otherwise, uh, they're going to move ahead of us quickly. There are those in the defense world that feel like because China's not a part mm -hmm. of this, that they're developing systems that are going to move beyond where we are. So I understand there's some tensions here. Russia's violating. Maybe right. this is just a move to say, look, if, if, we don't, if you don't straighten up, we're moving out of this. And I hope that's the case. I hope we're going to be able to figure out a way to stay within the treaty. All right, Senator Bob Corker, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Republican Senator Ben Sass is calling for a return to civility in politics. So is he OK with the president praising a congressman for body slamming a reporter? I'll ask him next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. We are live here in Tampa, Florida, where I will be moderating the Florida's governor's debate tonight at 8 p.m. Believe it or not, the two candidates have never met each other. They will tonight. With 16 days to go until the midterm elections and with the president facing the reality, the Democrats, many of them impeachment hungry, could take back the House. He's back in no holds barred campaign mode, going back to what worked in 2016 seizing on a hardline immigration message and endorsing violence against journalists, seemingly, even as he accuses Democrats of inciting the mob. Joining me now, Senator Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska. He's the author of a new book called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Uh, Senator Sass, thanks for joining us. Your book deals with why the country is so divided right now. Uh, I was reading it while this happened. I want you to take a listen to what President Trump had to say at a recent rally and he mentioned that Montana congressman who ultimately pleaded guilty to physically assaulting a journalist whose crime was he tried to ask him a question about health care. Take a listen. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind. And I said, oh, this is terrible. He's going to lose the election. Then I said, well, wait a minute. I know Montana pretty well. I think it might help him. And it did. 
Now, Senator, you write quite compelling in your book about the, the need for all of us in America to see the humanity of each other. And I have to say, I've been surprised at how quiet Republicans have been about the president of the United States joking about a criminal assault on a reporter. What was your reaction to that? You know, I got to admit, I don't follow the rallies closely, uh, but, you know, I believe that the First Amendment is the beating heart of the American experiment. So we need to have a president who celebrates the First Amendment and not pretends that beating up a reporter is OK. But I think what you hear from a lot of Nebraskans who also, I think, tune out most of the rallies is there's sort of a short term, long term thing going on. And people feel like the president's rhetoric is kind of short term playful. I don't think it's okay, but I do think most people tune most of it out. I think what we need to be having a conversation about is the long term of how does the next generation understand the American experiment? Because right now we don't have much shared sense of what it is. But it's not playful to joke about assault, is it? No. No, I mean, the guy was convicted of a crime and the First Amendment, free speech, press, religion, assembly, protest, the right of redress of grievances. These are things we believe are rights that 320 million Americans have, not because government gives us these rights, but because there are rights by nature, the founders would have said, and governments are shared project to secure them. So we need a president and all other elected officials to be stewarding and shepherding our shared understanding of that to the next generation. So no, it's not okay. But I, I do think that it's sort of baked into the president's stock price that sort of this uh, amoralistic take he has on it is just what most people think the president's gonna do. And most people where I live sort of ignore most of it. Some think it's funny, uh, some are really anxious about it, but most people just think, well, that's kind of how the president talks. Um, we need to do better than that. But I also think um, there's, there's a danger in pretending each new rally is uh, immediate urgent. I, I wish he did it differently, obviously. You're on the uh, uh, Senate Armed Services Committee. I wanna ask you about the US response to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist. President Trump seems to think American jobs and profits through the tens of billions of dollars of arms deals with the Saudi Arabians are a clear reason to, to moderate the U.S. response. Uh, on the other hand, uh, philosophically, uh, Senator Marco Rubio said on CNN, quote, there isn't enough money in the world to purchase back our credibility on human rights and the way nations could conduct themselves. Where do you come down? Yeah, I think that's well said by Marco. So we need to recognize that arms sales are always means to an end. They're not the end. Uh, the end is the American idea, and the end is stability in the world so that problems abroad don't come home to roost for us. So we don't do arms sales for the purposes of the profits from arms sales. We do arms sales because we want to be allied with different countries around the globe that believe in our values and have a long-term sense of what we're up to together and why we have that alliance. Saudi's got a lot of explaining to do, uh, and I think everything should be on the table. The intel that I've read is obviously not as exhaustive as the intel tell that the president sees. Um, but I think the cover stories from the Saudis are a mess. You don't bring a bone saw to an accidental fist fight uh, inside an embassy in Turkey or a consulate in Turkey. So the Saudis have said a whole bunch of crap that's not right, accurate or true. We know that. Uh, and we need to have some shared principles about what we're trying to get done if we ally with them uh, in particular ways. Policies flow from that. Arms sales are one policy. They're a means. They're not an end. Let's turn back to your book. Uh, you have some harsh words in the book for partisans on both sides, uh, including Fox News host Sean Hannity. Uh, you write his goal is not to promote a conservative agenda or offer coherent 
arguments against liberal principles, but instead, quote, his core cause is to rage. Hannity responded on Twitter to you saying, quote, after your book fails, I will gladly debate you about how the success of the last two years never would have happened with your never Trumper positions. Also, we can talk about why I know you are a con artist and phony. You owe the great people of Nebraska an apology, unquote. I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to, to Sean Hannity. Yeah, so um, I've, I've told Sean I'd be happy to debate him in a, in a neutral environment about whether or not his business model is good for America, because it's bad for America. And I think we need to back up. This isn't about Sean Hannity. It's about the whole politattainment industry, which is I think the vast majority of Americans want politics to maintain a framework for ordered liberty, but they don't want politics to swallow up every sector and every aspect of life, every institution and every discussion. And so most people are tuning this out. And I think that's it's important for us to sort of recognize what's happening in the way we consume media now broadly. In the 1950s, I love Lucy had a 68% share. It wasn't important content, but it was shared content. Everybody in America knew what Lucy and Desi were doing, and it was something you had in common with your neighbors, even if you were arguing with them about a project at work or if you differed on politics. Today, the most watched cable programming in America, Hannity's number one and Rachel Maddow's usually number two, both of them have the same basic business model, which is try to intensify the political addictions of the 1% of America that's listening to you, and you can always just demonize your opponent, never give a fair shake to what the other argument is. And I say that as one of the most conservative members of the U.S. Senate. I'm, I'm the second or third most conservative member of the Senate, so I'm not uh, mealy-mouthed indifferent on policy, but I don't think policy differences mean that people I differ with on a given policy I have to regard as evil and therefore not as a part of a shared America. And the business model that people like Hannity advance, it's not good for the next generation because it doesn't get to any sense of what a shared republic is doing together. You write in the book uh, about the tendency of individuals to overlook the flaws of those, quote, in the tribe. You say, quote, there is a deep and corrosive tribal <laughs> impulse to act as if the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but sometimes the enemy of your enemy is just a jackass. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I was reading this and I was thinking about the Kavanaugh hearings, when President Trump publicly mocked Christine Blasey Ford as the crowd laughed, um, and the response from Republicans, I have to say, was rather muted. Um, do you think your tribe failed Christine Blasey Ford by at the very least not condemning the president when he mocked her testimony? Yeah, so I went to the Senate floor after the president's uh, mocking rally, I think it was in Mississippi, and, and made a speech about why the Me Too movement is important and why the Me Too movement doesn't belong to Republicans or Democrats, and politics shouldn't swallow it because there's a whole culture of sexual violence that needs to be uh, called out and shouted out and mores need to be changed. And most of that's bigger than and outside of politics. So I, I was critical of what the president said there. But bigger picture, I think it's really important for us to recognize that this political tribalism, which is amping in our time, is filling a vacuum of the collapse of the natural tribes, the, the normal tribes that give people's lives happiness and meaning. The happiness literature is pretty clear. You're happy if four things are true. Do you have a tight nuclear family? Do you have a few deep friends? Uh, do you have a share, do you have shared vocation? Do you have a sense that you have meaningful work? And do you have a local worshiping community or a theological or philosophical framework to make sense of death and suffering? Those things are all local, and those are kinds of tribes that 
usually in human history have been thick. They're thinning in our time because of the digital revolution. And politics is trying to fill that void. Political tribes aren't going to make you happy. Just because you're a Republican or Democrat, that doesn't mean other partisans are going to join you uh, and comfort you late in life when you're lonely. So there's a lot... There's a lot we need to do, but we need to recognize the, the decline of the good tribes is a huge part of why political tribalism is amping in our time. And you write a great deal about it in your book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, the only book I've ever read that quotes both Adam Sandler and George Washington. Ben Sass, thanks so much for your time, Senator. Thanks for the invite, Jake. Some new concerning numbers for Democrats about Latino voters in the 2018 midterms. Will dislike of President Trump not translate into votes? A potential 2020 challenger to the president, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, will weigh in next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. We are live here in Tampa, Florida, where this evening I will be moderating the Florida governor's debate that starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. Power players and likely presidential contenders are crisscrossing the U.S. right now as Democrats try to flip the House, maybe even the Senate. Joining me now, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. He's on the trail in Minnesota right now campaigning for Democrats in the House and the Senate. Mr. Mayor, thanks for joining us. Looking at the current state of play, things should be looking good for your party. The president's approval rating is underwater. Democrats are raising record-breaking amounts of money, and yet it looks as though Democrats may actually possibly lose seats in the Senate in November, and it's not guaranteed that you're going to take back the House. What's the problem? Well, look, I think all of us know that even with the momentum, the new registrations, the feelings that are so anti-Washington right now, you don't win till you win. Um, the deck is stacked against the Democrats a little bit in the Senate uh, seats, but we're seeing tremendous enthusiasm. I'm feeling it everywhere. I've been in Mississippi. I've been in Oklahoma. I've been here uh, in Minnesota. You can see in blue states and purple states and red states, people who are sick and tired of the status quo. So I think it will be a very strong election uh, in just 15 days, 16 days. And we're seeing a lot of people who have never run, never volunteered, never registered before. That's a hopeful sign that doesn't really show up in polls. Latino voters are going to be crucial in 2018, especially in California districts, your home state, that Democrats will need to yes. flip to win back the House. A new Politico analysis of polling from Siena College and The New York Times shows Latinos are more than 10 points less motivated to vote than white voters. Uh, you have Mexican-American heritage. You're mayor of a city with a, a yes. booming Latino population. Why doesn't the Democratic message, why doesn't it resonate enough with Latino voters? Well, I think it's really important to do two or three things. One is to speak to Latinos uh, in the communities where they are, run more Latinos, and invest in long-term, you know, political infrastructure in Latino communities. Latinos are not monochromatic. You know, they trace their ancestry back to South America, to Central America, to Mexico, like in my family, and the Caribbean. Um, and it's, we're a very diverse group. And we care about a lot more than just immigration, though we're passionate about having sensible immigration policies uh, that don't go after our families. I think it's really important to talk education, to talk infrastructure, to talk good jobs and the future of work. So, you know, people will show up when they are being talked to. And we are placing a lot of investments in California in that, um, trying to get that in other states as well. But it's a good message for Democrats everywhere. That this is a growing population. This is an important part of America. Um, but you can't ignore it either. And so when you have certain races where there are uh, Republican Latinos who are running against 
uh, non-Latinos in those districts that are majority Latino, that can be a tough sell. And Latinos uh, have a pride to see a Spanish surname or to have somebody who they know comes from the same background, and they're willing to cross over sometimes. I think this time, though, it's very clear. We've got such a hostile president to Latinos in general, uh, to working people in America, have been anti-middle class, anti-rules, um, a place that is really unified. I loved what uh, Senator Sass said, local communities. There's really two Washingtons, sorry, two Americas, but it's not the red and blue and the rural and urban, immigrant, non-immigrant. I think it's Washington and the rest of us. And that's a message I think that resonates a lot with Latinos and all Americans right now. I understand you don't like the way President uh, Trump talks about uh, immigration, uh, but I want to ask you, a new report from The Washington Post shows the number of families apprehended at the border has nearly doubled in just the last two months. Uh, the president's been criticizing Democrats as supporting open borders. Um, I know that you reject that, but how do you think the United States should deal with people who are trying to come into the country illegally? Well, fundamentally, what the, this administration doesn't get, like so many of its plans, they know what they're against. They don't know how to solve the problem. Uh, investing, for instance, in stabilizing the economies of the countries in Central America uh, is a great way to cut off the supply. They think a wall will keep people out when they don't go to the root of the problem. Uh, this is similar to a lot of their policies, where it's really about, you know, let's get out of a nuclear treaty. Let's, uh, uh, you know, do something with North Korea Let's weaken our alliances. Let's do things that, you know, take away our health care. But they don't have any plans ever to get to the mm. root causes or to replace what they're against. And to me, that's what's worrying. This isn't just an administration whose values are cruel, um, but it's also a, uh, an administration that is absolutely ineffective. And as a mayor, we can't BS a pothole. We have to fix real problems, not invent imaginary ones. And just focusing on the border really isn't getting to the, the heart of what the matter is and why people leave. My grandfather was a war refugee as a one-year-old baby, and he came over the Mexican border in the arms of my mm -hmm. great-grandmother. Um, if that was now, he probably would have been ripped out of his mother's arms, not been able to serve as a veteran in World War II, earn his citizenship, uh, buy a house, start a family, uh, learn a trade, uh, become a union member, open a barber shop. I literally wouldn't mm. be here. And so if we have an administration that constantly is looking just at what happens at the border between Mexico and the United States, they're missing the forces that drive immigration in the first place. Uh, let me ask you about your job as a mayor and specifically one of the biggest challenges you have. You were screamed at for four hours this week at a town hall on homelessness. Homelessness is nearly up 50 percent in your city since you became mayor, according to the L.A. Times. Now there's a typhus outbreak, likely due to the booming number of rats attracted by all the food and human waste It's in Skid Row and other places. Um, some yeah. critics might say, hey, Mayor Garcetti, why are you traveling the country campaigning for Democrats in the midterms when you have this huge crisis in your own backyard? Well, I think they're linked together, and I welcome a national conversation, Washington, D.C., where there are more homeless per capita, where you see in Seattle and San Francisco, and you see in uh, red and blue cities, a mental health crisis. And, you know, mayors, as I said, can't avoid that. I'm, a lot of people told me never touch the issue of homelessness, but I am so passionate about it. We have people who are dying on our streets from opioid addiction. Um, I'm so proud of voters in Los Angeles who passed the two largest measures in the local level in U.S. history to combat homelessness. Uh, this is uh, what people say is an unsolvable problem, and I'm committed to solving it. We're opening up new beds. Uh, you know, our typhus numbers are actually about the same uh, as they've been in past years, but we're focused 
on preventing homelessness. We have veterans. We've got kids that are emancipating from foster care. My wife and I are foster parents. We've got folks that are you know, coming out of sexual and domestic violence. So to understand homelessness, we really do need leadership uh, from Washington, D.C., but I'm leading a group of mayors around the country saying we need housing policy, we have to take care of the least amongst us, and I think making sure we have a Congress that can actually answer that call and a Washington that will listen is absolutely the link between both national politics and local politics. You tweeted last night that, quote, it's time to start picturing the post-Trump era. Just last month, you brought party leaders from the four most important early primary 2020 states uh, backstage to meet Jimmy Kimmel and DJ Khaled. Uh, you've already acknowledged you're considering running for president in 2020. How are you making your decision about whether or not to launch a bid for the White House? And when will we know your decision? Well, first and foremost, uh, I'm having important conversations at home, but I'm mostly focused in the next 16 days at making sure we have a Congress because uh, President Trump isn't on the ballot, but uh, Congress that enables him is that seems to be either bullies, brown nosers or bunglers, folks who are either kissing up to the president, folks who are mirroring his bully, bullying or folks who are just ineffective at getting anything done. Um, but I'll make a decision probably in the next couple months. And I do hope whether I do or not, that mayors do look at this. I think mayors get things done. Um, you know, we know energy policy because we own utilities. The port of L.A. is America's port together with Long Beach, bringing 40 percent of our international trade in by sea. Uh, we deal with public safety issues. Mm -hmm. We have to create jobs, fix education. And I think that voice is really important. Right. Um, you know, when President uh, Trump got out of the Paris Climate Accords, we got 412 cities to say we'll do it instead because we're on the front line with our firefighters dealing with historic fires and floods. So I'll, I'll have some important conversations at home, talking to a lot of other folks. But really, I'm just pushing hard for this next couple of weeks to see if we can change this Congress and get a group of people that are more responsive to local government, local communities and the average American. Just a quick yes or no. Do you think you'll make a decision before the end of the year? Uh, I do believe yes. Okay. Mayor Garcetti, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's becoming an epidemic. Be Protesters you, screaming at political officials at restaurants and out in public. Where does this stop? That story next. I'll work with President Trump when he's doing things that are good for Florida and America. And when I disagree, I have the courage to say so. Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, is endorsed by President Trump, but he's also an amazing dad. Ron loves playing with the kids. Build the wall. He reads stories. Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. Two Republican candidates running statewide here in Florida, two very different attitudes towards President Trump. Which one will be more successful? We're live here in Tampa, Florida, where I'll be moderating the Florida governor's debate this evening at 8 p.m. But let's discuss Congressman Gates. Let me start with you. DeSantis, full embrace of Trump uh, running for governor uh, and then Governor Rick Scott running for Senate, saying that he'll stand up to him when he needs to. Which approach do you think is better? Well, we saw just yesterday Governor Scott email out to his supporters great enthusiasm as a consequence of the president's tweets highlighting Governor Scott's record. I think with Ron DeSantis, there are a few areas of disagreement, but also we've seen success as a result. In Florida, offshore oil drilling is a threat to our military mission, our economy, our property values. Ron DeSantis and Pam Bondi and I and Ted Deutsch, uh, we disagree with offshore oil drilling. And because Ron has a close relationship with the president, we were able to work together and get Florida off the table. So an example of an area of disagreement 
but progress and cooperation coming as a result. Congressman Deutsch, I know that you support Gillum for governor and Nelson uh, for Senate, but do you think that uh, DeSantis's decision to tie himself more closely, at least in ads, uh, with uh, President Trump uh, might play a, a factor, might play a role in whether or not he wins? Sure, absolutely I do, Jake. And I, and I appreciate the panel that you've brought together today. I have immense respect for, for my colleague, Matt Gates and for General Bondi, but they, they represent really what's happening in this election. You've got General Bondi, who, on behalf of Rick Scott, rather than defending the people of Florida, went to court to sue to take health care away from people with pre-existing conditions. You're talking about Obamacare. And, yeah. uh, right. And, and Congressman Gates, who, uh, who tweets out conspiracy theories that the president then uses to advance his own conspiracy theories, all the while bringing a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union. That's... That's the Trump brand in Florida. And while I respect the service they provide, people understand it. They want someone who's actually going to stand up for them, for, for the people, and not for President Trump alone. I'll let you respond to that, but let's let Attorney General Bondi respond first. Thank you. Um, as chief law enforcement officer and legal officer for the state of Florida, um, I firmly believe in covering pre-existing con conditions. I've always said that, but we have to do it in a legal way. And Congress has to act. And that's why we filed this lawsuit. We all want pre-existing conditions covered. And it's nice to have such a panel, by the way, where we can conduct ourselves with civility and we actually all like each other. I want to, so first of all, just read the tweet that he's referring to about the conspiracy theory. Uh, it had to do with the caravan. And you tweeted out, footage in Honduras giving cash to women and children to join the caravan and storm the U.S. border at election time. Soros, U.S.-backed NGOs, non-government organizations, time to investigate uh, the source. That's what uh, Congressman Deutsch is referring to. Yeah, I was wrong. It wasn't in Honduras. It was in Guatemala. That tape was provided to me by Honduran government officials. It was collected by Central American intelligence officials. And I think we've got to learn a lot more about how these uh, like large organizations of people come together. What I've learned on the Armed Services Committee looking at intelligence reports is you really have three groups. You have the thugs, you have the organizers, and then you have a lot of desperate migrants who feel like they have nothing to lose. And where you have those thugs forcing local businesses to turn over cash and resources, that's a problem. If you have organizers working in concert with U.S. NGOs or left-leaning groups, that's also a problem. So I think that we've seen that model in other parts of the world, Jake. In the Balkans, Judicial Watch just did a report where you saw U.S. NGOs working alongside Soros-backed groups for political outcomes. I hope that's not happening in Latin America or anywhere else in the world. Simone Sanders, this is an issue that not uh, just Congressman Gates, but also President Trump is talking a lot about the caravan, uh, allegedly criminals in the caravan coming to the United States. Yeah, we're, unfortunately, we're not talking about asylum seekers and how folks do can legally come to the United States and seek asylum. Look, I know that Donald Trump and his allies would love to make the closing argument of this midterm election um, about fear, about fear mongering, about the quote unquote mob. But I'm so excited that Democratic candidates up and down the ticket all across the country and right here in Florida are talking about the issues. They're talking about um, the assault that the Republicans are making against health care. They're talking about the fact that, look, Democrats want to get to work for the people. They want to put together a tax plan that works for hardworking middle class folks and not just the 1%. So I definitely, I do not think that this um, talking point, if you will, that the Republicans are trying to gin up across the country to scare folks into going to the polls is going to work. But is, it, is it good for hardworking middle class folks if the caravan gets to the United States? Will you at least acknowledge that it's a okay. win for yeah. the president if we're able to make those asylum determinations in Mexico, in Central America, and then we don't have that crisis visited on, on the American people? 
I don't think we should be fear-mongering. There, there's a real conversation we need to have about immigration in this country. Unfortunately, uh, some folks, your tweet included, weren't having it. What, like a congressman? Yeah, I just, I, it's all, it's, it's not always about wins for the president. It's about American leadership. And when the president uh, of the United States is tough, you know when he's tough? He's tough when he's talking about people seeking asylum. He's tough when he's ripping kids away from their parents. You know when he's not tough? He's not tough standing up to Vladimir Putin on stage in Helsinki. He's weak when he talks about how much he loves Kim Jong-un. And just this week with Khashoggi, the president spent the entire, he spent two weeks now trying to give the Saudis some opportunity to come up with a story that he could support instead of standing up for human rights and American values that we need to stop worrying about what the president claims are wins for him and start looking out for, for the American people and, and candidates who will stand for the people. That's what this election General yeah. Bondi, do you have any concern uh, about how President uh, Han Trump's been handling the Khashoggi uh, crisis? I, I, I don't. And, and, and originally, I'm a queer prosecutor. And originally, we didn't know anything. First of all, my heart breaks for his fiance, for his family, for all his constituents in the media. It's horrible what he did, what happened to him. Um, Thank goodness that in Istanbul they had video. So now we will find out the truth. But President Trump um, is saying we have to find out what happened. They're denying it now. Um, but now they're changing their story. It's evolving. So I have, I mean, we all have no doubt that they played a part. Just to what level did they play a part? And as to the immigration, quickly, if I could, I'm, again, I'm a prosecutor. And all I'm seeing are kids overdosing from opioids. And they are coming. I never thought in any of our lifetimes we would see heroin in a pill form. That is coming in to our country from Mexico. I've been to Mexico. I brought the Mexican attorneys general right here to Tampa, to St. Pete. I brought them here twice to train them. We're working well together with Mexico. But to me, it's about drugs and the drugs influx into our country. Human trafficking. I met with human trafficking victims. The black market fentanyls coming in from China to Mexico, being mixed in pills and being sold on the streets here in Florida and throughout the country. So you mentioned the mob before and how President Trump is trying to talk about the mob. I want to show some images. This is Nancy Pelosi in Miami facing a mob and Mitch McConnell in Kentucky facing a mob. Look at this piece of <laughs> Pelosi right here. Now, uh, Attorney General Bondi, I know you have faced uh, uh, groups of uh, people who are hostile to your views. And I want to ask you, there is an argument that public officials, I'm not making this argument, I'm just saying, there is an argument out there that the public officials, that this is the free speech rights of the American people and they get to do that. But you have been on the receiving end. I, I have. And, and, and I, it, was the, it was the Maxine Waters talking points that I got. You know, we're walking in a documentary about Mr. Rogers, and the only part they, they videoed it, they chose to air was at the very end, not the part where they told me they didn't even understand what I did for a living, that I'm ripping babies out of the arms of mothers. And I said, I'm glad you're videoing this because I've never agreed with separating children from their parents. Never. But they didn't air that part. Of course not. And then, I mean, screaming in my face, blocking me from walking in. I feel horrible as to what happened to Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. Thank goodness he has a lame child to take up for him there. But it, it's, it's tough, and, and it's, it's awful when it's happening to anyone in this country. And it was, it was more than disagreeing with me. It was blocking me, spitting me. What kept going through my mind was Tampa General Hospital's five minutes away, and when they punch me, how fast can I get there?
Yeah, I, I look, um, it, it's, those images are terrible and they're frightening and it's awful when it happens to anyone. It needs to be condemned. And, and here in Florida, uh, Mayor Gillum has come forward and, and condemned any acts of violence like that. And, and his opponent, Ron DeSantis, is busy appearing at conferences with people who celebrate violence against protesters. Who, 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 That's what, what conference are you talking the about? The conference down in Florida that, that he attended multiple years in a row. Um, that's the problem. When the, the reason the president wants to talk about about angry mobs is because he understands he's smart enough to know it's not about uh, angry mobs. This is about a lot of angry Democrats and moderate Republicans and independents who are tired of the divisive rhetoric. They want someone who's going to stand up for their health care, stand up to those who want to cut Social Security, stand up for gun safety. It's not a mob. It's you a thought movement. those were moderates, Ted? It's not a mob. It's a movement, Jacob. Yeah, those the didn't strike does. me as a group full of moderates. Those struck me as radical people trying to create disruption and, and potentially to hurt people. Well, involved, I involved in politics. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I, I, look, no one, no one should engage in, in political violence from either side. Right. But you mentioned Mayor Gillum. Just days ago, there was an LGBT activist who was there at one of his rallies who was assaulted. That has not happened, to my knowledge, at any DeSantis events. And this is the new tool of the left, guilt by association. Ron DeSantis goes and it speaks at some forum, and some other person happens to speak there who said some offensive thing at some time. Look, let's debate the issues. Let's right. talk about the fact that Florida's doing very well, the fact that tax cuts are working for the American people, okay. and not engage in that. Thanks, right. one and all, for being here this week. The public got a peek at a painting hanging in the West Wing. What else would really tie the room together? That's the subject of this week's State of the Cartoon. President Trump is doing a little redecorating over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I move paintings around the White House. I just thought it would be great. The centerpiece, a new painting with a flattering image of Trump taking his place in history, mingling with members of the Republican Club, former presidents Nixon, Reagan, Lincoln. I have never heard or seen such outrageous, vicious, distorted reporting in 27 years of public life. What else might President Trump commission? Perhaps a variation on Michelangelo's David? Someday maybe they'll name it after Trump, but I'd much rather have a statue in Washington, D.C. Clearly, the famously reserved First Lady could be the inspiration for a modern-day Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. Melania Lisa? I wish people would focus on what I do, not what I wear. That's the Mona Lisa, one of the great Mona Lisas of the world. Or better yet, a couple's portrait. American Gothic, an homage to those heartland voters. It's great for our farmers. Because what's the fun of being a billionaire and the president if you can't paint your way into history. I'm an artist. In a certain sense, I'm an artist. Be sure to tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. I will be moderating the Florida governor's debate between Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis right here on CNN. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria starts next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.